0: hello doug
1: happy mardi gras happy fat tuesday
0: it's fat tuesday i keep forgetting it's fat tuesday i usually yeah, like I to mean, make something fat tuesday-esque
1: well um, we didn't F- make something fat tuesday-esque but we did celebrate national pancake day by making pancakes for dinner
0: i had no i forgot about that too like i had no idea until the end of the day and i was like oh i missed national pancake day what kind of pancakes did you have
1: regular normal delicious pancakes
0: i love pancakes
1: yeah i do too in our like carb fearing culture it's a shame that these things become demonized I know. pancakes are amazing
0: they really are
1: they really uh, amazing
0: so hey we're on the block and we've got shit to talk about besides pancakes
1: yes we do but uh slight correction we are on the boulevard
0: Oh my god we're on the boulevard we're not on the block
1: we're in we this is modern times not the glorious 90s
0: sorry guys i took i took another holy basil leaf tonight so i'm not operating with a full deck here
1: again you say that but you you really do sound like you're operating at 100% so i know i
0: try i try but it just, it does um it does make me a little like just a little bit flaky you know um but it's it's all good like I feel it, it just makes me feel a little high yeah I get that like a little stoned you know like how you can kind of like you can kind of be fine and be stoned but at the same time you're a little like wow this is a little weird but yeah so anyway we are on the boulevard and we've got shit to talk about
1: yes so uh who wants to start
0: Um, You know, I guess I'll go um, because you had you said you had questions. So I have been watching um, three, I'm only three episodes in. So I don't know how many questions I can answer. But I have been watching that Netflix series crime scene The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. And I can't get enough.
1: So okay, I don't think I know this true crime story. So what is the what are the basics? What's the actual okay?
0: Premise? So the, okay, so the basic is um, back in I guess I think it was twenty thirteen. There was a college student, twenty one year old college student from uh, Vancouver, Alisa um, Alisa Lynn, who decided that she was going to I guess kind of like do one of those. I don't know if she's like on a gap year, but she wants to travel a bit. And so she sort of she leaves uh, Vancouver and she goes on this road trip um, and she goes to L.A. And she stays uh, at this place, the Cecil Hotel, which is a 700 room hotel smack in the middle of downtown downtown L.A., which I guess unbeknownst to her and also me Um, It was, it's also smack in the middle of Skid of L.A. Skid Row, Mm. which I did not realize is like a 50 block radius. Wow. I did not realize that L.A. Skid Row was that huge. Like I had seen. No, no. I
1: have, I have stayed down there as recently as two years ago. Um, And we have walked through a lot of it, but I didn't know it was that pervasive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I have been to part of it. I feel like I was like kind of near Koreatown when, and so I must have seen like the out, like the very, like, like the very sort of perimeter mm-hmm. of Skid Row. Um, but apparently like, and I guess I know that it's kind of cleaned up a lot downtown LA, like more and more people. But I felt like that even in 2013, downtown LA was still pretty like cleaned up but i guess in yeah
1: i thought they had built up a lot of it
0: yeah but i guess i guess it wasn't because in this documentary it said that it took up like 50 square like like a 50 block radius or something like like it is massive like i thought it was just a street or two like no it is huge it is absolutely massive um so anyway uh this woman is staying at the Cecil hotel and then she disappears and they're looking for her and they can't find her until two weeks after her disappearance. They actually find her in uh, one of the water tanks on the roof. A maintenance uh, man finds uh. her up there. Yeah. um, Finds her dead body. And so now we're kind of like, you know, now, now, now it's like, is this, you know, did she commit suicide? Because she did, she was, a uh, prolific blogger on Tumblr. And so she would like, you know, she was bipolar. She wrote about that. She wrote you know, so they were like, was this a suicide or was this, um, you know, or was this murder? And they, and so now we're, now we're kind of into the, we found her now we're into the investigation. There's like this fascinating clip of her in an elevator. It's the last it's she's caught on camera and it's like the very last images of her before she disappeared of her like doing all of this weird stuff in this elevator and stepping in and out and the door was like stayed open for two minutes and we think we saw the foot of somebody outside the elevator but you couldn't be too sure anyway when the police released this Footage. Everyone, it basically turned on all of, like, the internet sleuths. And so it kind of became, like, a big case, like, on the internet for, like, people who like to, you know, like, true crime geeks who want to sort of, like, be armchair detectives and solve cases. Mm-hmm. They all started like talking amongst themselves about what this was. And so now on at the end of episode three, we're starting to dig into some really wild conspiracy theories about like, was she, um, working for the government? This was like my favorite one. Um, conspiracy theory. There's, they think was she working for the government because she, the school she went to in Vancouver, um, did some sort of research into tuberculosis and like literally like two days after she was found dead, there was a massive TB outbreak amongst the homeless population on Skid Row. Hmm. And, and there was something in the papers, like the vaccine or, or the, or like whatever they were calling it, they called it Lim Elisa. Instead of and so it was like Mm. it was actually her name, but like backwards and oh, what a coincidence that is. And she like, so I'm kind of like fascinated by this because they're like basically saying she came to deliver TB and then the (laughs) government killed her. And I'm like, I love that conspiracy theory and I'm going with that one. So we're kind of like in this weird conspiracy theory place uh, with the case right now. And then they're also starting to say, oh, but is the hotel haunted? Because, you know, it is a Skid Row hotel. And so um, the Night Stalker was that's where he stayed, um, which also has a Netflix series. Um, I was going to mention
1: that one, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, which actually isn't as good as this. I, I was watching that for a little bit and I just kind of was having a hard time getting into it. But this one, I was like, no, I'm there for it. Um, so it's like a place where a lot of murderers and psychopaths have actually, um, lived like, you know, cause it's a, it's a, yeah. by the, you know, people actually do live there. It's, you know, a cheap hotel. Um, and then also for like, there's also sort of talking to the hotel employees and the manager, and it's really interesting to see how they were trying, you know, before all of this happened, they were actually trying to rebrand the hotel um as like a as like a kind of hip youth hostel, and to get away from all of the bad shit that like went on at the Cecil and how it was like this flea bag motel and don't go stay you know don't stay there unless you're like a prostitute, you know because it's like you know it's one of those hotels where if you're homeless and you get a couple of bucks and you want a hotel for the night, that's where you're gonna stay, and so they actually like Made certain, like they renamed the hotel, gave it a separate entrance and a separate lobby from the Cecil. Gave the like the youth hostel kit, like people that stayed there, a completely separate floor from the rest of like the Cecil guests. But they all had to ride the elevator together, so they were still kind of interacting. Mm. Anyway, I'm finding the whole thing completely fascinating because it's yeah, digging... it is a fan.
1: and it's it's an unsolved story, right? Like, the, I, I know Don't, you haven't seen the final episode, but to yeah. my knowledge, I believe there isn't any sort of resolution.
0: I mean, it is, it is absolutely a very fascinating hotel. It's got a fascinating history. Um, and apparently, it was built in 1924. And it was kind of like the jewel on the downtown L.A. crown when it was built. And it really mm-hmm. only had that you know, it it really only had that cachet for about 10 years. And then the depression hit. And once the depression hit, it was like all downhill from there for that hotel. And it is absolutely gorgeous. Like the lobby is so grand and Art Deco beautiful. And then, but then it is just like this really, really sad, sad hotel. And now we're sort of like really digging into the history, um, apart from these crazy conspiracy theories about the things that have happened in the hotel and is it haunted, or at least you know it it is carrying the sort of like echoes of these tragedies that happened in the hotel. I am absolutely fascinated, fascinated by it. I am.
1: You're also, fascinating as well.
0: I am fascinating. I'm also really fascinated by. And I'm, and I'm not sure why I'm paying attention to it now, but I am paying attention to it. The binge worthiness of the series. Like I could sit, I could seriously, if I had time, I would sit on my couch and just watch this from beginning to end. I, it's like one of those shows where I'm just like, I got to keep going, I got to keep going. And I'm, so I'm finding how they're doing it and always sort of ending on that cliffhanger um, to keep you, you know, ending on this sort of, like, little bit where you get, like, fed just enough where you're like, I've got to know more. Mm, yeah. Um, You know, and how they're doing it, it is absolutely masterful.
1: Cool. I had, I just recently heard about it, and I know that that's been a unsolved crime that's come up in other things, like the new Discovery <laughs> Plus platform also used it on an episode <laughs> of Ghost Adventures. Um. But I hadn't heard a ton about it so I wasn't sure if it's something I needed to watch. I had also recently given the first episode of The Night Stalker a try and I was like, well, I could keep watching this if and when I have some time. But
0: Yeah, that's how I felt about, I about like, The Night Stalker one. Eh, like, Yeah, like I really thought that I'd like it more and I was like, yeah.
1: I eh. also think most of them do the four episode length and I think that befits some stories more than others. It sounds like for this one it does though.
0: Yeah, this one is fantastic. I don't know I don't even know how many episodes this is.
1: I thought it was four. I could be wrong.
0: Um, I mean I don't know how much more we'll get, you know, if they didn't uh yeah, no, you're right, it's four episodes. Oh my god, so I'm probably on the last one now. Which kind of yeah, makes again, sense. Yeah, there's only so much they
1: can't tie it up, right? There's only yeah,
0: yeah, they can't tie it up. Oh, that's a bit of a bummer. Well, at least I know I've only got one to go. So, which is which is kind of making me excited because I can at least you know, have some closure.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, the director is a great documentarian. He did all those uh, Paradise Lost movies about the West Memphis Three and the yeah. like yeah. satanic killing. Um and Brothers Keeper, which was a great documentary from the early nineties. Um and I think he did some of the Ted Bundy stuff on Netflix as well more recently. So he seems to be working fairly prolifically uh for Netflix these days.
0: And I believe that was produced by um Ron Howard and Brian Glazer. And oh, you know so oh. it's got like it's got like a ser- like, it's got serious pedigree.
1: Yeah, it does
0: yeah yeah and it's actually i think one of the most what is more fascinating than what happened to this poor woman um actually is looking at it at, looking at what was happening online with all of these people who got involved yeah yeah
1: the after the, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah to me that is almost more fascinating than the actual story itself, because they're coming up with these weird and crazy, like, like I said, like theories, that you're just kind of like, oh my God, that's bananas. But actually, maybe it could be. Is it really? you know? And so just to sort of see that happening, I think is kind of worth the price of admission, because you can sort of see how we can go from internet sleuths doing this case to like fake news, right? Like all of like the the mass conspiracy theories that we're dealing with right now is really fascinating to watch on how it evolved in a situation that like there is, I mean, apart from her family, like it doesn't really affect us. You know what I mean? It's like her case really only affects this small microcosm of people. Right, its, it's their tragedy, and it's yet their, Yeah, and yet it ha, we, we can see how what was going on online actually ended up snowballing to become yeah, a, a national point. tragedy, frankly, um, with all of the conspiracy theories and how they spread and, um, and how they're given weight. Yeah. So, yeah, I say. Yeah, these things time, didn't happen
1: overnight. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it didn't happen in a bubble. So, like, yeah, I would right. say, if you've got time, there's a lot going on here that make it worth that makes this worth watching. I think.
1: Yeah, it definitely appeals to the true crime fan in me, and it's a double edged sword with Netflix because I feel like they keep doing more and more of these, um, which is cool. Except there's more more than to want to watch. So to be careful what you wish for type of thing. But it's interesting because The Night Stalker does seem like a pass. But this one seems like something I will definitely at some point catch.
0: Yeah, I think it's worth it. Well,
1: cool. Um, I have a different uh, streaming thing to talk about that I don't think I was excited about, as you are, about uh, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. And it's a streaming thing because I saw it on HBO Max though technically it is a limited streaming thing because this movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, will then be in theaters only after like the next 29, 30 days for a spell. And then i will eventually come to whatever on-demand rental channels people have. But this is uh, another one of the big year-end theatrical releases for all the awards eligibility. Um, And it's a biographical drama about Fred Hampton who was the head of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers, um, and William O'Neill, who was an FBI informant. Um, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out plays Fred Hampton, and O'Neill is played by uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who I think is one of the actually great working actors of his generation and doesn't get enough credit, but he also doesn't get a great vehicle in this. Um, It's like a fairly by-the-numbers sort of period tale it's late 60s Chicago um and it's like one of those stories like Donnie Brasco like Black Klansman about you know the good guy who embeds with the bad guy to find out more and to take him down um it's a fairly rote and unsurprising kind of biopic as a biopic it's not really illuminating because it's more about events than individual Mm. people um uh, you know, the performances are by and large good. Daniel Kaluya is convincing as Fred Hampton. Uh, like I said, Lakeith Stanfield, great in everything, great in this. Uh, it's There's a nice performance by Dominique Fishback, a fairly unknown actress, um, as the woman who gets involved with Fred Hampton. But the, the film, which is directed by Shaka King and written by a group of like four or five writers, is like there's nothing really to hang your hat on there it's not even like a very linear and then this happened and then this happened it just sort of takes off without any real entry point i feel for the audience so you can focus on the period detail or some of the more violent scenes that happened, but there isn't a lot of excitement generated by those scenes. There isn't a lot of catharsis that happens at any point. um things don't even really feel like they escalate; they just sort of plod along uh I mean, I'm very glad this is one of those cases where I'm glad I got to see it at, at the convenience of my own home and not have to pay money for it because it's fine. I'm glad I got to know what that was because it's in some of those year end movie conversations. But I can't say this movie changed my life in any way. Mm. So, you know, it's one of those things. I say it's great to write as a critic about things that are really great that you love and that are really bad. Because you have a thousand things to write about how all the pieces fell apart. And this is just (laughs) one of those that's neither. It's in a, a very sturdy middle ground. And there's really nothing more to say about it.
0: I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong. I feel like there's been a lot of biopics lately.
1: Yeah, I think like, you're absolutely more so right. than usual. Yeah, I think so. It feels like every other movie is one.
0: Yeah, that's a kind biopic of what I'm or calling. some sort
1: of historical thing.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. It, I mean, God, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, Mank. There's the Billy Holiday movie coming up, and whatever else. I'm sure I'm forgetting.
0: Yeah, I just you know just. Just putting that out there. Not sure what it means, but here we go.
1: I mean, I guess I will see that and raise it uh, to maybe there are a good amount of biopics every year, but there are at least a couple that stand out as being a bit more exciting than oh,
0: yeah. this year's crop. Yeah, maybe. And that's why we're paying more attention to them, sure.
1: Maybe. I mm-hmm. don't know. That's not a, I have not done scientific research. I'm going off of gut instinct here. So, God help us all. Um, but i saw another movie and this is one that i think and Alyssa, i think would agree that does benefit from the way we watch things now because this is a movie that was to come out last summer they paused it because no one knew how to handle all the covid theatrical releases um and we ended up just renting on demand for whatever 1999 and completely enjoying, and probably enjoying more for having watched it in just the comfort of our own home. And that's a comedy called *Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar*. I know I'm talking about the longest movie titles on this podcast, but um, it's a comedy starring Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, and they are the, the writing team behind *Bridesmaids* from a decade ago. Right. Uh, and this is just like a really fun. Light, Like, it has such an 80s vibe when, like, nothing mattered and you could just watch something dumb. But this doesn't... It's, it's not lowbrow. It's, like, midbrow, lightly textured. I, like, I just, I just enjoyed it so much. It's a very Weekend at Bernie's vibe. So, like, when I say 80s, it's not, like, a Porky's, Revenge of the Nerds-type stupid comedy. It's, like, a Weekend at Bernie's like silly kind of harmless fun sort of thing
0: like it's Um, just it's just a good time
1: it's just a good time and it isn't trying to do too much it just is and it works um and um so barb and star uh are two lifelong friends who really never left their midwestern town and after they get laid off from their Jennifer convertible store, they decide to go on a vacation to Vista Del Mar in Florida. Um, and they just sort of get caught up in this plot by a nefarious villain who was also played by Kristen Wiig in like albino makeup and and and, and uh, big like Louise Brooks bob wig. Um, they get caught up in this woman's plan to blow up Vista Del Mar for silly reasons of her own. I mean, to her, they're serious. To me, silly. Um, And along the way, um, both of the women, who are middle-aged, I mean, they're like mid to late 40s when I say that, um, both get entangled with Jamie, a character played by Jamie Dornan from Fifty Shades of Grey and the fall so he's like your typical sexy man but he really exhibits a big funny bone because like he's not super suave um and and it's a nice thing where it's like the audience approved hot guy finds both of these women that movies typically deride attractive and there's nothing like covert or subversive about it it just is it's just nice it's just silly, but, but it's not, none of these people are being made fun of for what they are or what they're not, which is nice to see. And not something I think I see very often now. These, right. Like if you cast someone, if they're from the Midwest, if they're over 40, if they have a certain type of hair or costuming, you're really meant to diminish everything they represent, including the real people who look like them. Right. And This movie respects them. It doesn't do that, which is very refreshing. Very light, very fun, very easy to watch. I enjoyed it. Worth, it's it's one of very few things I think we've actually paid to watch because so much has been streaming during the last 11 months, so I'm a fan. I don't know if it will. it's the kind of thing that will make Boku bucks or develop a cult following or what, um, but I feel like it might have a longer shelf life now for people watching and, you know, just purchasing at home then it might have been released in the theater during the summer.
0: Well, it sounds delightful. I don't know that I want to pay 20 bucks for it,
1: but yeah, it would essentially a rare splurge for us. Yeah. which I know if we got to see it in the movies, we wouldn't be paying more, but you know, times are different. Yeah. Priorities are different.
0: Yes. Um, and I still don't have a job, so. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Money is different for all of us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'll just stick with my true crime on Netflix for the moment.
1: Yeah, keep it going. And by the way, the next one that Netflix drops, I uh, want you to tell me, w- if you're watching it, and <laughs> what it is as well. Because, you know, I'll add it to my list as well. One other thing before we go. Yes. Uh, I wanted to render my final verdict on the Showtime Mini, Your Honor, with Brian Cranston.
0: Oh, yes, and?
1: It's a solid very good but not great
0: um
1: they did a really good job of of keeping all these different characters up in the air and there were so many things to try and tie up i was expecting like i don't know multiple confrontations or multiple character deaths or whatever in the finale that didn't exactly happen and I think some things were left dangling. I don't think this is a case where this, this series will return, that it's going to come back for a second season. I don't think there's enough story left for that. But there were, I thought, threads that were dropped along the way. Having said that, still very satisfactory. Still very uh, good performances. Uh, especially by by Cranston. Um, and also by the great Michael Stuhlberg, who plays his name. So, um... Definitely glad I saw it. Definitely much better than I thought it would be diving in. Um, so there's that. Finally. Well, I feel like. Right, um, no, I'm here.
0: Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Hello? Yeah, you know, I think we lost Doug, so, um, how strange, we were doing great, um, so I guess I will bid us adieu for the evening, because that kind of worked out really well, because we finished, um, so I will bill you, I will, I will bid you adieu, um, and say we will, uh, see you, uh, see you next time when we're, uh. When we're back on the block in the boulevard.